Welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the martial arts family drama cult classic, The Karate Kid. Now, the plot of this film, a bullied teenager is taught karate by a martial arts master to help defend himself and compete in a karate tournament against his bullies. The Karate Kid. uh, It brings back so many memories watching this movie for the first time, wanting to take karate or any any form of martial arts as a result. Unfortunately, never got the opportunity to, but uh, I pretended like I could. Man, I was (laughs) doing the crane kick. I mean, this... Uh, there, there's so many things about this movie that spoke to me that I, I've I've been a fan since I was a kid. It's it's great. Well, I, it's very relatable, and everyone relates with it in its own way. But I was I've been a new kid in town before, a new kid at a high school. It's a fish out of water type situation, which this movie uh, it's one of the themes of it. Uh, if you remember when I, we went to Greenwood, I had the 21 Jump Street circumstance where people thought I was an undercover cop. So I, I, I can certainly relate with some of this a being an outcast. A little bit different from Daniel LaRusso. Yeah, 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 no doubt. But, uh, <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, but even in middle school, I was bullied. And then I literally did what Daniel LaRusso did. I learned to fight. I boxed. And then my bully became afraid of me, which is kind of similar in Cobra Kai, where that one bully becomes afraid of uh, Miguel. It, that same kind of thing happened with me where my bully would see me and just take off after I kicked his ass. It was kind of cool. Like, so there's a very, the, the, these movies for anybody who's been picked on or bullied in high school and has had to defend themselves in some way. There's a, there's a lot of relatable elements. As the young brother, I, I can relate to that. Yeah. Uh, you were my Johnny Lawrence. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> um, no, but I, I it, you're right though. It, it does speak to, I think everyone has felt like the underdog at times, especially if you're the new kid at school or what have you. That is actually where the idea of the film came from. It was from someone's own personal experience, uh, Robert Mark Kamen and how he dealt with bullies when he was growing up. Yeah, it was when he was 17 years old at the 1964 World Fair. He was beat up by a gang of bullies and that's where one basis of the there's essentially two bases for the story that being one of them the other being producer jerry weintraub had optioned a news article about a young child of a single mother who became a black belt to defend himself against bullies so Kamen, the screenwriter combined both of those elements to draft the screenplay that surprised me i thought that's like okay well you know you know Kamen would have had this idea and he maybe sold it as a as a script or as an idea to to a hollywood studio and Actually, Kamen was already uh, a fledgling uh, screenwriter in Hollywood. He had worked on Taps. When Jerry Weintraub saw the article there about the nine-year-old that got a black belt to defend himself, he approached Kamen or got in touch with Kamen, and Kamen's like, hey, this is me. I've done a similar thing. So that's kind of where they merged the two. Uh, some, some things that it were influenced by Kamen himself, in his experience after he was bullied, he sought martial arts uh, instruction from someone who taught more violent methods, more aggre- aggression, uh, offensive, if that sounds familiar, Cobra Kai, mm-hmm. but then moved on to someone who taught more blocks and countering and that type of more uh, connection to karate or 
the, the sport itself. Actually, the the training was uh, Okinawan Goju Ryu, uh, and the person that his instructor learned from was none other than Chojun Miyagi. So you can see the influence even with the Miyagi name. So <laughs> I do cool. think it's more of like a an 80-20 split. A lot of it that what you see in the Karate Kid did come from Cayman with a little bit of that news article sprinkled. That was more just the catalyst to get it greenlit. Well, talking about Karate Kid, you, everyone talks about it being a uh, you know a, a remake of Rocky. You know, it's just uh, Rocky with karate, basically, right? When he, uh, and, and that's because of director John G. Avildsen. Uh, Oscar-winning director uh, who directed Rocky and then directed uh, all three of the Karate Kid original films. He also went on to direct another Rocky movie, Rocky V. He famously turned down uh, Rocky II. They asked him to come back to direct the sequel. And just a quick side note here, Avildsen went from winning an Oscar for Best Director for Rocky, who also won Best Picture. However, Avildsen himself, he was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Director for Karate Kid 3 and for Rocky five. So he had some ups and downs, some peaks and valleys uh, for Avildsen. But those are the two uh, franchises he's most known for uh, is Karate Kid and Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. Directed multiple films for each one. But uh, Cayman, the screenwriter is friends with Sylvester Stallone and has gone on record saying that, you know, Stallone would joking around with, joke around with him about Karate Kid being a copy of Rocky. And, you know, and that he's like, yeah, maybe it is. You you had one good idea, and I made it my own. So they they, they have gone. Yeah, uh, they, they have joked about that kind of inside joke thing. Uh, well, in other films that have had it, you can see the influence. Uh, Star Wars: A New Hope. Uh, that people have said uh, there, there's certain influences you can see kind of come through. Uh, Kung Fu: The TV series. Uh, Samurai Three: The Duel at Ganlin Island. Uh, you know that where the, uh, the the fly with the chopsticks. That's where that came from. Oh, okay. Even if that, you know, that's a great point though. You know, these, these movies that reach the stratosphere of pop culture, even if they pull from something similar like that, they make it their own in a way to, to where what is unique to that film is associated with it. Like the fly on the chopsticks. When you see oh, that, you only think well, of. We've seen the best right filmmakers do that. Tarantino and even most, uh, what we talked about before, Sam Raimi, uh, where they'll pull from classic films and, and, and incorporate it into their, the, the, a modern day uh, movie and, and, and in some way reinterpret it and make it their own. So uh, uh, homages uh, throughout. And, and this has several classic ones. Uh, real quick on Cayman, uh, he was not a one and done with Karate Kid. As I mentioned, he got his career starting as a kind of a co write with Taps. He did go on to do Lethal Weapon 3, The Fifth Element, The Transporter Films, The Taken Films, uh, and then he had uncredited rewrites of The Fugitive and Devil's Advocate. Mm. He's a script doctor. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. So he has done, uh, he, he collaborated a lot with Luke Besson, uh, who is most, I would say, you know, Fifth Element is a big one of his films. He's done a lot, a lot of stuff. So um, he did go on even beyond Karate Kid to, to, to do a lot in the business. A lot of successful movies. Yeah, but starting out, though, whenever they brought Karate Kid to the forefront, nobody liked the title and thought there would be, a lot of people thought there would be no audience for it. So it was really just the studio pushing the title, pushing this idea uh, with the backing of Cayman. So credit to, to Jerry Weintraub and Cayman for knowing what they had. Uh, and, and even Avildsen, when he was on set, 
uh, you know, saw the magic that was happening. But Probably the main reason that it was the biggest sleeper of 1984 is the title. And the filmmakers had to request special permission to use the Karate Kid title from none other than DC Comics, who owned the rights because the Karate Kid was in their Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, I came across that, and I've never heard of Karate Kid as a DC superhero. Uh, and, you know, at this point, I mean, that DC's, they probably a big regret they have because it's become such a commodity, that name uh, and associated. The last thing it is associated with is DC Comics at this point. But the property's related in name only. I mean, it's an original story. It's not like it's an adaptation of the character. Filming started October 31st, 1983 on Halloween. Uh, the first scenes being on the beach, the beach party we see. Uh, and it wrapped December 16th, 1983. Six weeks of filming. Pretty short considering, uh, the you know, being a major motion picture. I, I, I just assumed it was several months. Given where this film was, I, I, the budget wasn't huge for it. So they probably wanted to get through it pretty quick. Um, and uh, what was surprising to me is that they're shooting in Los Angeles primarily. They used real life locations like the apartment building in Reseda, uh, the Cobra Kai Dojo is in North Hollywood, uh, Mr. Miyagi's house in Canoga Park. But they're shooting over the winter, and a lot of these scenes are outdoors. And you know, I don't know how cold it gets there, but. Uh, for the most part, they're they're not pretending like it's cold in the movie. And it doesn't get too cold in Los Angeles. Uh, they also shot in Encino, uh, Woodland Hills, Malibu, Norwalk, and Westlake Village. To me, it's all Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't. I just kind of associate it with one general area. Well, Reseda, Encino, Northridge, Woodland Hills, Agoria Hills, and Canoga Park are all Los Angeles. Malibu, Norwalk, and Westlake Village are surrounding uh, cities. Mm, okay. Well, I, I think that would probably have to, a lot to do with why it was able to wrap in six weeks. It's because all of the, it's like they had to travel a lot for shooting. All of them were, I would say, for the most part, pretty centralized with maybe in, within a couple hours of each other, all the locations. Is that fair to say? Yeah, they're all relatively close to each other. They're, they're not all in the TMZ, but uh, pretty close. What is the TMZ? Uh, the 30 mile zone. Oh, never heard of that phrase. Uh, it's the studio zone, the the thirty mile zone, TMZ. It's an area. It's a thirty mile radius in Hollywood. Huh. Okay. Good. The more you know. In the All Valley Tournament, uh, which was from interviews of the cast, was the most epic sequence they shot they all got a rush from it 500 extras in the audience good versus bad uh the audience was rooting for Larusso and booing for lawrence and uh, zapkas even said that he looked in the audience and his mom was upset she was even crying when the audience was booing him and he was getting into it as the character he just had to tell his mom hey relax this is all good <laughs> well, i could get they say hey she's a good boy come on they wanted to capture the essence of that tournament. So what did the filmmakers do? They held an actual karate tournament. They brought in, I think a couple hundred competitors that were so that the, the, they get the, the crowd responses to be realistic. And, uh, John Abelson was kind of known for hiding cameras and he just hit about, I think eight or nine cameras in the bleachers to capture those moments there and filmed around the tournament that was going on. Uh, but it, one of the things that was hilariously obvious to the actors is when they were seeing the real competitors there, it was the moves they were doing were laughable because although it looks good on screen, 
Is it what you would use in a real tournament? Absolutely not. But they got what they needed. Well, that's because they hired Pat E. Johnson, uh, a master black belt of Tang Su Du Karate. Uh, he was featured in Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon, and he also worked with Chuck Norris at an American uh, Tang Su Du uh, Dojo. So uh, he, he, it was kind of cool that they got somebody with uh, that lineage of uh, karate training to, to, to help uh, choreograph the film. Yeah, it was almost a necessity. I mean, that is the one thing that it may not be realistic, but it's got to look good on film. And you need a professional to choreograph that in order to do that, especially if a lot of the actors don't really have martial arts training, which they didn't uh, going into the film. Uh, so that it was it was good. They brought him in. And Mr. Miyagi's stunt double, Fumio Demura. Uh, he also worked with Bruce Lee. So they, they, they made sure to get the right people that had uh, th that brought the film credibility when it came to the karate that was going to be featured in the movie. As much as they could. I mean, yes, uh, DeMuro was a certified badass as well as uh, Johnson. Both of those gentlemen brought a ton to the legitimacy of the choreography that happens on screen. However, one thing that is not legitimate, and I've got to go ahead and call out now, the iconic crane kick is not a real move. It was created solely for the film. So if you if you try to do this in real life, which everyone acted out that has seen the film, especially as a kid, someone's going to bum rush you and kick your ass. So you know, stay away because from that. Because it's so predictable life. now. The reason yes. it worked in the movie is because of the element of surprise in the move that he didn't see it coming. But because everyone knows the move, once you hang the hands up like that, you're, you're it's over. <laughs> Hey, good luck even be able to do it. I'd fall on my ass now. But music of the film, I I don't want to spend a ton of time here because the it's so good. I know it's going to cross over into uh, our best scenes. Uh, the the music itself was composed by Bill Conti, who had worked on Rocky, again, uh, an alum with uh, John Avildsen. They worked together a lot. Um, the song that is the most well known from the film, I would say, is "You're the Best" by Joe Esposito. That was originally slated for Rocky III, but Stallone is like, nah, I don't want to use it. I want to use Eye of the Tiger instead, which you know, was a great choice uh, at the time, but you know, you're the best. Still a great song. Uh, however, coincidentally enough, Survivor, who does Eye of the Tiger, also did Moment of Truth. They actually worked on that with Bill Conti, who did the music. And then Survivor performed it. It's kind of weird. Bill Conti has a song called Daniel's Moment of Truth. And then Survivor has the song Moment of Truth on the original soundtrack. Mm. Uh, and then just a few other call-outs of just great 80s songs. It's a great soundtrack. Go check it out. Uh, uh, hopefully I'm not stepping on Best Scenes lines too much. Uh, Feel the Night by Baxter Robertson when Allie and Daniel go on the date and, uh, to the little amusement park area. It's great. Uh, it's just a, an underrated song. Uh, and then the second time that him and Allie kind of get together in a date atmosphere when they kind of reconcile, Young Hearts by Commuter, those moments where they show da Daniel and Allie together. So I just want to give both of those a special call out because they're, they're, they're great songs. Yeah, the music between the scoring and then the selection of songs, 80 songs used is so perfect. Uh, they all work so well in the scene that they're put. Yeah, I did not remember the music being that good when I went back and watched the movie. I've said this before. Great music can elevate a good movie, even a great movie, uh, to that next level when it comes to a pop culture status and memorability. And you think about those moments in the film and how much the music heightens 
the the experience when you watch it and, and how much of the, the goosebumps is associated with the, the music that's underscoring uh, what is going on in, in the action so it is a great soundtrack uh, unlike our previous episode christmas vacation this one was released i encourage you to go check it out it is uh, it's a phenomenal nostalgic flashback to some good 80s tunes and we'll move on to the stars of the picture all right mr demille i'm ready for my close-up the performances of this movie are pitch perfect across the board. Uh, for an 80s movie of this nature, I, I gotta point out, not a lot of overacting, which is a rare thing of a movie of this time. <laughs> it really is. Starting at the top of the call sheet with Ralph Macchio as Daniel LaRusso. This was his third movie and the first of four portrayals of the character. He was only 22 at the time of filming, and no one believed him. Every, just because everyone just thought he was younger. And if you watch the movie, he looks, uh, it doesn't look a day older than 17. Yeah, that's imperative to the character. I think you have to have like this scrappy kid that, you know, is perpetually going to look five years younger than what they actually are. And Ralph Macchio was a perfect fit for that. Uh, he was brought in almost entirely because of his role as Johnny in The Outsiders. Uh, yeah, Avildsen and uh, the, the studio saw him in that and felt, you know, he is a, was a front runner for uh, the role of, of LaRusso. And originally the, the role, uh, however, the character was called Danny Weber until Macchio walked in the door and then it quickly changed. Yeah, you got to go with the uh, an Italian name. Um, but before this, uh, you know, he had Up to the Academy in 1980, and then he was a regular on the TV series Eight is Enough before The Outsiders. But The Outsiders is what made him a household name. But, uh, but The Karate Kid is his first movie where he is the lead, and he appears in every scene of the movie. He carries this film in a lot of ways. Between him and Pat Morita, they are a, a great duo, great on-screen on chemistry. So uh, LaRusso, though, I mean, it's tough for an actor, a lead to be in every single scene and carry it. And he is a big part of the reason why The Karate Kid uh, is the successful franchise that it still is today. Yeah, I mean, his unique persona, I think, really elevated the movie. And it wouldn't be such a big hit without him. It's, it's just uh, lightning in a bottle. So what ifs for Daniel LaRusso, Robert Downey Jr., Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, Nicolas Cage, and Anthony Edwards, just to name a few. So they were really pulling out all the stops to try to, to nail somebody and really consider anyone they could to be, to, to be the best fit for this role. So uh, I'm glad they went with, uh, with Machio, though, because I couldn't imagine, as great as those other actors are, I couldn't imagine anyone else. It's such an iconic character. Uh, and he did such a great job in the movie uh, that some of his credits, he plays himself because of the fact that he's the Karate <laughs> Kid. I mean, a after this, he's got Karate Kid 2 and 3, of course, Crossroads. Um, but Entourage, he plays himself, and it's like a, a whole a caricature or, or a spoof of the, you know, uh, him you know, being the Karate Kid. And but that's how great it is you know, with Machio kind of leaning into that really hard in some of these TV portrayals. Of, it's a caricature of the Machio character. I, I always get a kick out of that. You know? Yeah. Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi Oscar nominated for this role in the first yeah. of four portrayals. He would play Mr. Miyagi in four feature films and the same thing. Uh, he would 
such an iconic character. He was cast in a lot of movies with a different name, but it was obviously a take on Mr. Miyagi in that certain movie's universe. <laughs> so again, speaks to how iconic this movie is in pop culture and even the individual characters of this movie. It's hard to believe it now and maybe a different generation still associates him with his first iconic role, which was Arnold in Happy Days, the television series. Uh, but at this point of Karate Kid, I mean, his career was... I would say had taken a, a little bit of a dip. Uh, this, in a lot of ways, revitalized his career, uh, becoming Mr. Miyagi. And uh, however, his background though was in comedy. I mean, he was known for not being a very clean comic either. Uh, so this was a huge departure from what most people knew him for. Yeah, he was a stand-up comedian and a comedic actor. He had approximately sixty credits. Most mostly TV, had, was in some movies. And like you said, most known for, uh, to that point before Karate Kid, A Happy Days. He played Arnold in about, uh, I think it's 25, 26 episodes between 1975 and 1983. So whenever he auditioned for the film, uh, you know, I, I'm sure the studio, the casting director was, you're looking for a specific type of character for Mr. Miyagi. Uh, one, of course, who's got an Asian background. Uh, so when he went to audition for that, he was originally rejected uh, and not maybe from the comedic background, just maybe how he portrayed the character. But he did. He went back to it, grew a beard and incorporated the, an accent that his uncle had. Uh, and then after that, it was he was the clear front runner. Uh, Avildsen has even said that, uh, you know, he he brought tears to his eyes watching him film some of the scenes. So uh, a huge credit to Pat Morita for subverting expectations and just delivering an Oscar-worthy performance. And that is why Pat Morita, as Mr. Miyagi, is the MVP. He gives the most valuable performance of the movie. He is pivotal to the film. Uh, his character is the human Yoda uh, of the, the movie <laughs> yeah. uh, to our hero. Uh, the performance makes the movie work without it it the aura and, and, and with the training and the all-knowing uh knowledge isn't there if the performance of mr miyagi isn't portrayed to to this uh isn't executed at this level and pat marita rises to the occasion the voice the presence the spirit that he inhabits uh with the character it, as we talked about iconic characters of the movie Mr. Miyagi is the most iconic character of the Karate Kid universe, and that is why he is the MVP. It's the most memorable. It's essential to the world building and the story. You need a convincing, badass, avuncular, uh, 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 fatherly character. That's Mr. Miyagi. That's Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. It pleases me that you chose him for the MVP. I, I thought you were going to go LaRusso or maybe uh, Curveball and pick, uh, pick Zapka, which is... He's great in the film. Yeah, you. I could maybe see you assuming that just out of his screen time alone, because as we mentioned before, he is in every scene. But you can't understate the value Pat has as Mr. Miyagi. It, it's essential to the film. It's important, though, I think, the comedic background he did bring to the film, because there are certain scenes, certain lines that Miyagi says where that comedic timing is imperative. So having that balance, I mean... I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There was no one else that could have made Miyagi the iconic role mm -hmm. that it, it, it is other than Pat Morita. He's one of a kind that could do that. So great choice for MVP. And after The Karate Kid, he did the, the three sequels. But he also did Bloodsport 2 and 3. 
Uh, yes. Spy Hard. Oh my God! Uh, lots of movies and, and TV shows uh, uh, after this. He worked uh, constantly. Uh, uh, How have we not done a John Claude Van Damme film? Why are we doing Karate Kid instead of Bloodsport? Warren, come on! <laughs> hey man, don't knock Karate Kid. Karate Kid's iconic. As much as we all love Bloodsport, Karate Karate Kid it, in terms of fight movies, it's 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 up there. I know. I'm just it's Van Damme. I, I, I love I love Bloodsport. It's so good. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) uh, moving on to William Zabka as Johnny Lawrence this was his first movie and second credit and the first of three portrayals as Johnny Lawrence he's still actively portraying the character it's what he's most known for Uh, he was a great 80s teen movie villain Uh, his performance I think is underappreciated much like the character he was not the first choice for Johnny Lawrence originally and I'll go get the what if out of the way Close to going to Crispin Glover, <laughs> believe it or not. That's, I mean, none other hmm. than uh, George McFly himself. I mean, this would have predated uh, Back to the Future by a year. But uh, the studio decided, the, you know, the, the casting director decided they wanted to go with an unknown. And up to this point, Zapka was. Uh, so the, this is the film he, in the role he is most associated with. Uh, but for any fans of Cobra Kai out there, he is the essence of Johnny Lawrence, and there is no one else uh, fit for this role. So, again, I could have seen him as an MVP. As we mentioned before, all the performances are pitch perfect. So everyone d- does their job. Yeah. They show up to work, and they do what they're supposed to do. And I really love his work in the movie. He was only 19 at the time. That's crazy. Wow. Y- younger than uh, Ralph Macchio. <laughs> Doesn't look it, though. Wow. Uh, he still owns the red leather jacket, which we see in uh, Cobra Kai Season 2. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a movie prop you would want to hold on to. Uh, a- after Karate Kid, uh, National Lampoon's European Vacation. I'll be damned. Uh, he's also is in Back to School. He made a cameo in Karate Kid 2. And most recently, as we mentioned, Cobra Kai. Uh, then you have Allie Mills, um, who was portrayed by Elizabeth Shue. This was her first film role, just like William Zabka. So coming into this, uh, I think she had done a a pilot for a TV show that had Craig T. Nelson in it, and she had done a Burger King commercial. That was that was it. But it was so popular that that's what got the attention to the casting director to bring her into um, to Karate Kid. Yeah, she also was in a TV movie in 82, but yeah, like you said, this was her first major studio picture. She took a leave of absence from Harvard to do this movie. Wow. Just like Allie Mills would, of course. Um, no. I mean, after this, Adventures in Babysitting in 87, yes. Cocktail in 88, yes. Back to Future 2 and 3 in 89 and 90, and then Leaving Las Vegas, uh, Oscar not there in 95, and then most recently, The Boys, the Boys in yeah. 2020, and Greyhound with Tom Hanks in 2020. They got someone that on the cusp of greatness, uh, and they were able to pluck her out uh, for, for the Karate Kid. Fair to say, probably the the biggest eventual star in this movie without a doubt uh what some what ifs some legitimate stars at the time demi moore and helen hunt were also considered and almost got the role uh, and then also uh, her best friend in the film was kind of a you know kind of a <laughs> not kind to daniel larusso and maybe not without cause 
uh, was uh, an almost for that was Sarah Jessica Parker. So going that would have made it a better movie if she was in it. That would have actually added even more lore to this film. Like holy shit, they have Elizabeth Shue, and you end up having Hillary Swank in the fourth one, and now you got Sarah Jessica Parker in the first one. If she was in it too, it would just have more and more stars that were in the franchise. Well, that that was kind of the strategy that they were going with. Uh, Avildsen especially is like, hey, let's bring in. Maybe it was uh, Weintraub, but maybe the two of them. They were wanting to bring in. Uh, relatives, whether it be sons, daughters, cousins, nephews, nieces of Hollywood stars. That's why you saw uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Chad McQueen, who was a relative of Steve McQueen. So there was the strategy for some of these side characters. He was the son of Steve McQueen. It was the son. Okay. Yeah, he played played, uh, Dutch. And uh, rumors are pretty difficult to work with on set. That was a strategy, though, is to bring in some of that Hollywood royalty in a sense. And maybe it was to give the film some credibility. Martin Cove is John Kreese, uh, the only actor, along with Ralph Macchio, to be in all three original Karate Kid films, along with Cobra Kai. This guy, is if you see him in the 80s, he looks like an 80s action figure. Like, uh, put a <laughs> rifle in, in, his, in his arms and a cigar in his mouth, and he's probably one of the henchmen there with Arnold in the Jungle and Predator. He just has that look. He does, yeah. I love it. And him. he would be, be cast the next year in Rambo First Blood Part Two. So, uh, right there at a central casting. He's got a great <laughs> we, villain look to him. He really does. He really does. This role is what he's most known for. Uh, he would work constantly, uh, of course, rounding out the Karate Kid trilogy, and then most recently, again, still actively portraying this character, John Kreese and Cobra Kai. How often do we do a movie where this many actors are still actively portraying their iconic roles yeah. <laughs> as we're doing this movie? This doesn't happen. I mean, we have uh, Alfred Molina coming back now from Spider-Man 2. I mean, there's been a, a handful of uh, exceptions. But, uh, I mean, to have a one movie with this many, uh, that's never happened. Let's keep the nostalgia train rolling. I love it. With Randy Heller as Lucille LaRusso. Her second movie, a lot of TV credits before this from 71 to 83, 14 TV credits. Uh, she was uh, her first movie in Fast Break from 1979, which is a great sports movie. But this performance is one of the best 80s movie mom performances. Yes. She's just so grounded. It's not too much, not too little. Uh, just very on point with her performance. Uh, in the wrong hands could uh, just not work and be uh, be over the top or just uh, or flat. Yes, like the classic Stallone movie, "Over the Top" is a good way to put it. Uh, but she's great, and she also uh, did uh, come back to the role in Cobra Kai. It's awesome they were able to get that many actors to come back. Co-stars in the cast, you got Ron Thomas as Bobby, Rob Garrison as Tommy, and Tony O'Dell as Jimmy, all three of which would also reprise their roles in Cobra Kai in Season 2, Episode 6. A classic episode, one of my favorites from Season 2. The only one of the guests, the group, the original Cobra Kai's that didn't come back was uh, actually Chad McQueen. But because he was a dick. <laughs> well, no, I think he has like his own business, like some is a brewery or, or some. Or no, he's like a racing company, maybe that he just he just stepped away from acting. You're coming back for Cobra Kai. Come on, I know. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if they can maybe get Elizabeth Shue to come back. Uh, time will tell. I think everybody's waiting on that. Yeah, yeah, that'll that that would be great. Uh, Pat E. Johnson as the referee. We talked about him being the fight choreographer for the film. Uh, he does make an on-screen appearance as the referee. And his intensity uh, and the way he uh, manages and regulates the fight does add a certain uh, authenticity and realism, and, and it really grounds the fighting scenes. 
Bruce Malmuth as the announcer. I hope I'm saying that right. And Frances Bay as the lady with the dog. If you see her, a famous face, one of those character actors where you don't know her name, but you know her face. 173 credits, passed away in 2011. Uh, Probably her most known role was from Happy Gilmore. All right, moving on to the stats and accolades of the Karate Kid release date, June 22nd, 1984, on a modest budget of only $8 million. However, opening weekend uh, would go on to recoup almost all of that with a $5 million uh, premiere and only 931 theaters. It was number five that week behind the number one film, Ghostbusters. Number two was Gremlins. Number three, Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones film. Uh, number four, Rhinestone, which, you know, one of those is not like the other there. Uh, Rhinestone, if no one remembers, was a S- Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton movie where a country music singer had to make a New York cabbie uh, be able to, to to sing. So it was a, you know, it didn't go on to, to make a lot of money. So number five, Karate Kid was, you know, belongs, I would say, in the, with the others there as far as iconic 80s films. Uh, domestically, it would go on to pull in $91 million which does include uh, some re-releases from 2018, 2019, and 2020 to coincide with some Cobra Kai promotions. Also finished at the box office for the year fifth as well. Oh, wow. (laughs) So it correlates there. Whole media of the film, top video rental of 1985. Not surprising. Released on DVD April 14th, 1998 on Blu-ray May 11th, 2010. And a 4K Blu-ray 35th anniversary edition was released April 16th of 2019. I own the trilogy because it's great. The first film's great. Don't get me started on the, 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 the two sequels, particularly the third film, which it is awful. Eh, the second one's it, okay. It, it shows you when casting goes wrong uh, when you don't get a William Zapka in the in the uh, in the Johnny Lawrence role. Fair. Second one's okay though. Eh, okay. Uh, scores of the film: Rotten Tomatoes eighty eight percent and Metascore sixty. Uh, critics well received. Roger Ebert four out of four stars said quote sleeper because of the title uh, gives the wrong idea but it is among the year's best unquote. There were some mixed feelings. Pauline Kael said, quote, I didn't even see Karate Kid. I wouldn't have had anything new to say. Who cares? After all, I don't want to become a hack. It's it's so funny <laughs> hearing some of these in hindsight, knowing what the movie became. Is it a perfect film? Absolutely not. Is it a perfect replay value film? Yes, it is. Uh, it's, it, it's great in... You know, not that it's going to win Academy Awards for Best Picture, but it's great in you know how it can inspire you, how it can put you into the film. So it's funny to look back at some of these these reviews and and, and see how they've aged like milk. I mean, it, and how that, the perception has changed. That's why a lot of critics go back and revisit the reviews yeah. and revise them because they they got it wrong. Uh, with a running time of two hours and six minutes, uh, should have been shorter. Definitely could have cut 25 minutes out of this movie, yeah. maybe 30. Yeah, it's surprise. It's a quick. It's two a little hours, long. Though. It's a quick two yeah, hours. It's still, it's still a bit too. It's still too long. It is. It's uh, it, yeah. yeah. It, it, for an 80s film, which you expect it to be, you know, 90, 100 minutes. It was hour 40 tops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, PG rating, not surprising. Zero F words, zero body count. All things considered, uh, very vanilla. Uh, a movie for all ages.
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a family film and one that you know we got the opportunity to go see, and one you know again, like we mentioned earlier, inspired us to want to 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 be our own Danny Larusso and do take up karate. That had a lot to do with its success. I mean, if you made it a little darker, put it in the PG thirteen realm, it wouldn't have seen the traction that it got with that eighties family audience uh, that helped push it along. Awards of the film, one Oscar nomination and one Golden Globe nomination, of course, for Pat Morita's performance, Best Supporting Actor as Mr. Miyagi. Uh, also, two Young Artist Award wins and one nomination, Best Family Film, and uh, Zapka and Shu were recognized for their work. Grammy Record of the Year for 1984, a classic, What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner freaking love this song it's so mm. tina turner is the best not my favorite tina turner song I, i'll leave that one in suspense but this one is still a great one uh, and then the billboard hot 100 uh that the what's love got to do with it was number two number one for uh the number one single for 84 was when doves cry by prince two great songs some great songs in 84 great yeah. great great songs also some great movies top of the box office number one beverly hills cop <laughs> nice follow, followed by ghostbusters indiana jones temple of doom at number three followed by gremlins at number four rounding out the top movies at the box office that year that was a great year for summer blockbusters we were talking about yet ghostbusters gremlins temple of doom karate kid all in theaters at the same time oh my gosh can you imagine yeah, I can't imagine that many great movies in theaters at once. Uh, you also had The Natural, The Terminator, Splash, po The First Police Academy, and Footloose. How it, we've only done one other film from '84, and that was Ghostbusters. I mean, so many great movies. Uh, Oscar Best Picture winner Amadeus, uh, Emilio's foreign film, uh, and that was also the year at the Oscars where Sally Field gave that infamous acceptance speech. You love me. You really you love me. You know, you like me. You really like me. Ah. Razzie Worst Picture winner Bolero had had six wins and nine nominations. Ooh, it was a uh, nice. it starred Bo Derek. <laughs> wow. TV of 1984 top Nielsen scripted shows: number one Dynasty, number two Dallas, number three The Cosby Show. Emmy Best Comedy Series winner The Cosby Show. It defeated the two-time champ Cheers. In the Emmy Best Drama Series winner Cagney and Lacey, it defeated the favorite Miami Vice and four-time champ Hill Street Blues. Uh, coincidentally enough, Bill Conti, who of course did the uh, soundtrack to Karate Kid, also did the themes to Dynasty as well as Cagney and Lacey. Prices of 1984, gas was $1.10 a gallon, a new Corvette cost $23,000, a movie ticket was $2.50, rent was $350, and the average price of a house, $72,000, all on an average income of $21,600. Can you imagine being able to see Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Temple of Doom, and The Karate Kid in theaters at $2.50 a ticket under $10? Staying bucks. at the theater all day. You could see all of those for under $10. If I was a kid, I would just skip school and go to the theater. I wish I could have been a teenager. I wish I was you know, uh, old enough at the time that I could have seen all those films. Events of 1984, Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, the first untethered spacewalk, the original Apple Mac goes on sale, the UK and China agreed to revert Hong Kong back to China in 1997, and Ronald Reagan was re-elected president. Ronald Reagan? The actor? 
All right, let's talk about our best scenes and lines from the Karate Kid. Some great iconic moments. Uh, some good music is involved too there. Let's jump into it with your runner-up for best scene, Warren. Funny you should say that because my runner-up best scene is the Halloween fight scene, which has a great 80s song playing under uh, during the entire sequence. You've got LaRusso pulling the prank on Lawrence, and then Lawrence and his friends chasing him out, out of the uh, Halloween dance and uh, eventually laying a beat down before uh, Yoda, excuse me, uh, Mr. Miyagi comes and saves the day and kicks ass just like Yoda would do and we would eventually see in the prequel trilogy. But I, what I love about the correlation of those two characters is Mr. Miyagi, anytime you see him fight in the entire Karate Kid franchise, he never struggles. He kicks everybody's ass and <laughs> immediately just dispatches them. Yeah, that That is the moment where the the rivalry between Daniel and Johnny really escalates. Cause at this point, you know, weeks have gone by without really anything happening. No months at that point, uh, is, is what Johnny Lawrence had said. It had been, it had been a while. Uh, he'd left him alone. I mean, yeah, you're talking end of October and you know, the, the, it seems like the first ones happened when he for was starting school. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. It had been at least a month or two. So it was at that point that Daniel got his chance to, to get back at them a little bit. Unfortunately, when Johnny was assigned to smoke a joint in the in the bathroom on Halloween. But he, He's rolling a joint. I don't think he was smoking it yet. Oh, okay. Well, let's. He, yeah, he had no intentions of smoking. He was just rolling it. But you, what's right. questionable is he had the headphones on, which if you're in there rolling a joint, you'd want to be able to hear what's going on in the room. And uh, that that's make, a guy it sets who him runs no, the that, school. He doesn't. That care. sets him up probably. for the gag. He would have heard Larusso doing all that shit, especially with that curtains costume he was wearing in the stall. If he would have had the headphones in, yeah. But however, it's a great scene. I love that. Um, my choice for runner-up was the moment when Daniel's training clicks, he is getting ready to quit. He's frustrated with all the chores that he's had to do with Mr. Miyagi and he's throwing in the towel. He wants to walk away. You karate training. I'm what? I'm being your goddamn slave is what I'm being, man. Now we made a deal here. So? So? So you're supposed to teach and I'm supposed to learn, remember? For four days, I've been busting my ass. I haven't learned a goddamn thing. Ah, you learned plenty. I learned plenty. I learned how to sand your decks, maybe. I wax your car, paint your house, paint your fence. I learned plenty, right? Ah, not everything is as seemly. Oh, bullshit. I'm going home, man. Mr. Miyagi sets him straight very quickly and, and shows him examples of why all these chores he's been doing, why it has meaning, and why uh, he has had him to be doing them. Show me wax on, wax off. Catch! 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 And he goes through the other movements, you know, wax on, wax off, uh, sand the floor, side to side, uh, paint the fence. And it's just this wonderful scene where you see it all start to click for Daniel. And just the realization on LaRusso's face when he sees that, you know, holy shit, I know, well, I, I, I was going to say, I know Kung Fu, like the horrible meal line. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> 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 but, 
But I see, I actually have been learning karate, Mister. It's just like that moment where it's like it is unbridled respect for Miyagi at that point. Like I will question him no more. He knows what the heck he is doing. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a great moment. Great choice. The iconic wax on, wax off scene. I mean, this is where Miyagi reveals the, the training and the cleaning, it, what it's all been about. It, it, you know, it's, it, it, like he even starts it off when he says, show me, show me San Flo. You know, but it's, it's great when you, we as the audience, along with Daniel's son, it clicks with us. We're like, oh, shit. Oh, okay. It's kind of absurd a little bit, but uh, it works in the movie. Well, it's the muscle memory. And it, it, for someone who is completely untrained, yes, it works. I mean, you've tra- he's training his body. All right, so what was your winner for best scene? My winner is, uh, I mean, it's obvious. It's uh, yeah. when Daniel's son comes out from the locker room, when they're about to give the trophy to Johnny Lawrence, and he comes back to fight in the final. Yeah, I mean, that's my winner, too. Yeah, you have to pick that. Yeah, obvious matchup. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now, you could pick the whole tournament sequence. I mean, all of that is great, but we're talking about that final stretch there where we get the, uh, you know, the Magic vs. Bird, the Manning vs. Brady, the final showdown. It's, it's great. You got the classic back-and-forth scoring. Uh, in fact, LaRusso goes up quick on him, I believe, 2-0. Uh, but then Lawrence hangs in there like a, the two-time defending champ would. He doesn't give up easily, and then LaRusso finally puts him down with the crane kick. It's the climax of the film. It's what you wanted to see. Again, that rivalry coming to fruition there uh, in that moment. So uh, I'm not surprised we match up there. All right, so uh, just keeping in that same vein, though, honorable mentions, I have to include the montage of the tournament when you hear you're the best. I mean, that was Duh. actually really close to sliding into uh, – Almost my runner-up, yeah. yeah it's it's it's, it's really great. And just a couple other honorable mentions for me: uh, the, uh, the Halloween kind of the, that that encounter you mentioned earlier, and uh, Daniel's birthday party with Mr. Miyagi. I, I love that. It's such an emotional moment with the two of them. He gets the ghee that Miyagi's wife made. It's a it's a very touching moment uh, in the film. Uh, incredibly good. Oh, Mr. Miyagi, this is great. This is great. Hey, where'd this come from, anyway? Mrs. Miyagi makes long time ago. Hey, you know, if you ever want this, um, this patch back, I'll understand. I know you understand. And then it caps it off at the end where he gives him a car. I mean, you look at, Miyagi looks at Daniel like a son. And it really comes through on screen, their chemistry, their relationship, and then the bonsai when he's driving off. Yeah. It's such a pure- well, he kind of, Mr. Miyagi is such a subdued character, especially early on. We're, we're kind of gradually introduced to him. His scenes become more extended and we get more of him as the movie goes on. And that's where we, we see he's got a really big heart in that moment. We love him even more. What, what about you? What were your, your honorable mentions? Well, you, you mentioned a couple of them. The, you're the best montage and uh, the wax on, wax off iconic scene. Only got a couple more here. Uh, Daniel's training montage, which is 
fucking great. Uh, it's got the music playing, and it just cuts and shows him he's finally bought in to the Miyagi Dojo way, and he is fully committed, and this commitment and that training, that montage is what leads to him having the goods to become the All-Valley champion. I love that, yeah. And it's, I love, I'm a huge fan of montages, so I like that you, you gave that one a shout-out. And my last honorable mention is when Mr. Miyagi confronts John Kreese at the Cobra Kai Dojo. And it sets the stage for the final fight, the final act. Uh, everything in the movie leads up to that. It's and, and But that the audience at that time, we know, okay, this is what... It's a very rocky thing. We know what these characters are working towards. We're going to have... What the stakes are, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's awesome. Name a place. Tournament. You've got real nerve, old man. Real nerve. But I think we can accommodate you. Can't we, Mr. Lawrence? Yes, Sensei. I actually did have one more. It was the chopstick. Where he gets the chopsticks with a fly. Hey, 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 Mr. Miyagi, look. Look. <clears throat> you begin a luck. Well, when Daniel does it, and then Mr. Miyagi gets pissed off, and he yeah, walks that's out, that's fucking great. It's so good, and that's the comedic timing of, of, of Pat Morita there. It's like the one time you kind of see him just kind of get flustered or frustrated. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to our best lines from The Karate Kid. Uh, I'll start things off with my runner-up, keep it going, and it's got to be the near the end of the film when Kreese tells Johnny to sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? No, Sensei. No mercy. That is also my runner-up. Ah, whoo. Ooh, baby. All right, yeah. nice. Again? Become best friends. Yep. It's the exchange. Yeah, it's the exchange. Yes, correct. It's mainly crease though. And what was your winner? Winner mentioned it earlier uh, during Daniel's training. Wax on, wax off. It's the most iconic. I mean, holy shit! Iconic. Oh my god, that is also my winner. Wow. Wow. What do you know? Again? What? Did we just become best friends? Not just a friend. A partner. Like you said, it's the most iconic, and it's the one I've said the most in real life. It's also kind of spawns off from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles' Secret of the Ooze, where they said, uh, wax on, wax off, mouth on, mouth off. We would play more on that, to be honest, but it originates from this movie. You're right, because I would say that growing up, we were most likely exposed to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles prior to that, so we didn't get the reference. We thought, you know, we just, we just looked at it from being a Turtles thing. But it's a fitting reference because it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that they would reference a karate movie or martial arts movie like yes. the Karate Kid. Yes. It's awesome. And I think just in pop culture, that line, I mean, it's used so much that by uh, everyone uh, that, that people would say that that is the most iconic line or the most quoted line, the wax on wax on yeah. for sure. Yeah, we matched up on runner-up and winner. So, what were some That's, of your honorable? That mentions? was that was a third matchup overall. Yeah, honorable mention. I got a few. Get him a body bag. Yeah. That's uh, along with sweep the leg and, and wax on wax off. Those are some of the most quotable in pop culture. The uh, interesting thing about that line, though, was that it was uh, it was dubbed later in post. Uh, that was not said on set. 
by Tommy, uh, the character Rob, uh, Rob Garrison, I believe, um, that he actually, his most iconic line from the, the film was something that he recorded after the fact. Uh, that's crazy that a great line came in ADR. Uh, <laughs> second honorable mention is uh, Crease when he says, All right, no one touches the prima donna until the tournament. Is that understood? Yes, Sensei! <laughs> that's good. My last two honorable mentions are my Mr. Miyagi. Man who catch fly with chopstick accomplish anything. <laughs> and uh, my, my, my last one being Canvas. You like <laughs> JC Penny 398. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, had a, my, most of my honorable mentions were Miyagi as well. Um, one is just, it's, classic is uh, whenever he breaks the bottles on his car when they go to the beach the kind of the surfing instruction thing and daniel asks him how did you do that how did you do that don't know fast type that's one of those moments where i kind of what i talked about earlier the comedic timing element that pat marita brought was key it just it's a small percentage of the what's needed for the Miyagi character, but it's a very, very important piece of the, of the puzzle. Um, another Miyagi line uh, where LaRusso talks him at the birthday party and opens up about how good of a friends they are and says, You're the best friend I ever had. Are you pretty okay too? Oh man, a lot of, a lot of heart there though. It really, you really, you really feel it emotionally. It works in the movie. And then, lastly, bonsai, 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 bonsai. <laughs> Moving on to Judge Bob's recasting court, where Warren and I recast the film with today's stars. All rise for the Honorable Judge Bob presiding. Gentlemen, you may be seated. Recasting court is now in session. Counselors, I look forward to hearing your arguments tonight. Let's get right into it. We'll be hearing an argument for Lucille LaRusso, John Kreese, Allie Mills, Johnny Lawrence, Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Steal Your Ex-Girlfriend, Daniel LaRusso. Phil, with a win last week, I believe that leaves the floor in your hands. We'll start things off with an argument for Lucille LaRusso. Who do you got? Believe it or not, this one actually gave me the most trouble. I would, it was up there as far as the difficulty of recasting this one. Um, it's such a magnetic character, uh, you know, compassion for her son. At the same time, you know, you can see her trying to ask somebody to pop the clutch so they can, you know, push the car to get it started. Just, you know, got a real spicy personality, let's say. Uh, I went through a lot of actresses before I settled on this person, Regina King is my Lucille LaRusso. Wow. Nice casting, Phil. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Pulling out the big guns. Oscar winner, Emmy winner. Every acting award known to man she has acquired and, and, and been bestowed upon uh, the the, uh, the trophy. Uh, man, really tough to go up against her. Really great. Um, this character, well stated by you, I, I interpret her the same way, a warm spirit on screen. A character just doing the best she can. She has a heart of gold, but at the same time, there is that you know, uh, that survivor mentality, very much East Coast, New Jersey, single mother attitude that she that she carries. So Regina King, great choice. I ended up going with Linda Cardellini, who uh, mm. I would first know her from Grandma's Boy, but she's played a lot of characters 
motherly characters uh, similar to Lucille LaRusso uh, in, in uh, uh, Avengers, playing Hawkeye's wife. Uh, even Green yeah. Book, uh, she plays um, she plays uh, Viggo Mortensen's uh, wife in uh, in Green Book. So she she's played a lot of these type of characters before, and I think she would do a great job. Yeah, Freaks and Geeks, the Scooby Doo movies. I think she's Velma and the, the better yeah. the better ones of those. Yeah, no, she's great. Working forever. I, I, I love her. You know. I don't know if I can see her ex- getting exactly kind of like, you know, I said like the, the sassiness, the spiciness that you see in some of the scenes, like, especially when, you know, she is uh, either getting on Daniel for. What are you, you talking about? Like, Linda Cardellini's got the Italian roots. Uh, she she absolutely <laughs> could do yeah. the feistiness. Gentlemen, I do want to remind you that we are recasting tonight. The karate kid. I want to hear you fight. I want to see you get dirty. I want to <laughs> okay. see you get in. Phil came with a good one. I'm proud of you. That's great. Warren, way to be aggressive, though. We're going to go ahead and point Warren. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Right. I mean, I, I love Cardellini. She's Can't believe, great. man, I, I was able to uh, take down Regina King. That is uh, whew, that's a heavyweight, man. Based on fighting skills alone here. It's, it's like when you throw down Meryl Streep or Vala Davis. It's just like it's really tough to beat someone like that in a recasting. Always. But, gentlemen, we're here to win. I want to see some fighting. Take the gloves off. John Kreese, Warren, who do you got? Well, for John Kreese, this is an imposing, intense, intimidating character uh, physically and in his behavior. Thought about it for a minute. Came to me pretty quick. Idris Elba. In fact, I think Cobra Kai would be even more menacing and terrifying. And uh, I could I, sign me up. Take my money. I want to see it. Phil, remember one thing. I want to hear your argument for your character before your counter. Who do you have for John Kreese? Oh, you told me to bring it. I'm going to bring it. No, um, no, I love Idris Elba. That, 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 he's a great actor, and uh, you can put him in almost any role. Almost. However, my choice, I went with David Harbour. Surprised to see a a non-child actor, Stranger Things alum that I'm pulling in here. Uh, But, you know, I think about John Kreese is just like a a rough around the edges, not afraid to to break the rules, bend and break the rules uh, to win. Uh, And, you know, he's really at the heart of the movie to me. He is the villain. Uh, not Johnny Lawrence, but he's the one that, you know, he's the teacher. And so you need somebody that kind of has that almost kind of menacing side to him. Uh, but, and, and again, rough around the edges, David Harper's a perfect fit for that. Yeah. Okay. I just, uh, I don't think David Harper is a great fit here. Uh, as much as I love David Harbor, um, I, I just, Maybe he would be uh, uh, running the the uh, the good guy version of Cobra Kai. I just don't see him running Cobra Kai. He would be uh, uh, working for Mr. Miyagi or something. See, I don't see Idris Elba running Cobra Kai, and I know he doesn't have to have the what? British accent and everything like that. But it's just like he is. I mean, you kidding me, dude? Fucking The Wire. He's played plenty of movies running shit. He was even the villain in Fast and Furious but, but, uh, franchise, no, see, and he even, was you know, menacing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, even in in the wire, though, it's a good example. But he's the guy behind the guy. He's not the menacing up front type. He's the intelligent. Exactly. Guy. So this is him. Maybe you know, it, it's it's a variation of uh, of some of those same character traits, but taking it a shape in a different form. Now, John uh, I think Idris Elba would be face, great as Chris. Break the rules, guy. Yeah. That, yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Idris Elba is in, is definitely capable and imposing. The guy's even done boxing matches uh, in his spare time in between film projects. The guy's a badass. Both on screen and off. Elbow all the way, baby. All right, all right, he is, all right gentlemen, gentlemen, order in the court a for a second. Well. And please, on my behalf, do not stop the argument. But let's keep the conversation moving. Point. Warren. Allie Mills, go. Wait, 
what the fuck? Well, I almost was going to say me as John Kreese. You know, honestly, I think I'd be <laughs> perfect. Uh, uh, I feel anyway, like you um, put David Harbour down because you're like, hey, I know I get rewarded every time I go Stranger Things, but my friends. No, no, I mean, I legitimately yeah, exactly. thought he was a good fit. <laughs> yeah, pulling the, the exact, you said a bad precedent on the last ruling last episode, Your Honor. Almost went all Stranger <laughs> Things. Yeah, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I would I would love it. I would love it. Uh, you know, that's great. <laughs> Allie Mills, Warren, go. Yeah, Allie Mills. Um, I thought of uh, Mackenzie Foy for a minute, but then I ended up going with Amanda Stenberg uh, from Hunger Games. The hate you got to give. Very talented actress. I, she has so much potential. Oscar winner in the making. Like if I was a gambling man, I would put money on her winning an Oscar someday for an actress her age. I mean, she's so talented, and she's just a bright, bright future. So many great roles ahead, no doubt. But I think she'd be great in this because Allie lives in the hills is a person that comes from from wealth, her family, uh, a well-to-do character, but good intention, a, a heart of gold. And whether Allie had money or not, you get the sense that she would be the, the same way. And I think uh, Amanda would be great at that. Amanda was voted by Time Magazine in 16 and 17. Don't quote me on the year. It might have been 15, 16 as one of the most influential teen actors. So while we're building a blockbuster here, Warren coming off the shelf with a very, very strong candidate. Phil, really interested to see what you have here. I didn't recognize the name. Uh, and you said, Hung and I saw she was in Hunger Games. She played Rue in Hunger Games. And she, I mean, she was just a kid back then in, in 2012. Great young actress. Um, I'll start with my, my choice first, and then I'll get to the counter. But I went with Angori Rice, and that's probably another name that... I'll, a lot of people listening may not recognize, but you've definitely seen her in stuff. I saw her first in The Nice Guys. She played Ryan Gosling's daughter. Uh, she was in an episode of Black Mirror. Uh, but uh, she's most well-known for the uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, The Homecoming and Far From Home. She plays Betty. She does like the, the news anchor. Um, she's the, the blonde classmate there. And you talk about life in the hills, privileged lifestyle, Someone that's going to catch the eye of Daniel LaRusso, but at the same time have a heart of gold. She is just, you couldn't cast a better person for that. I'm not familiar with the actress, so I can't, not in a position to really uh, counter with any type of uh, authentic point of view. But I, I will say, I just think Amanda's great. I think she's really perfect for it. Uh, there's a lot of different characteristics that you look for for an actor to be able to portray uh, when playing Allie Mills, and she checks all the boxes. And, and again, so much potential. Well, yeah, so much so that I'd put her in as the lead. I think you're undercasting her. Like, she would be the one that would go out there and kick ass. I mean, she would be the karate kid. She's not going to be, you know, uh, the love interest who doesn't really, to be honest, the Allie character doesn't really have a whole lot to do other than be the love triangle part of Danny and Johnny. Well, as much she very well could play a good LaRusso or a lead character, but we're not recasting that character. We're recasting Allie Mills. So let's, uh, you're, I'm on page four. You're on page eight. Let's stay on point here. No, no, you're misunderstanding. I'm saying you miscast her by putting her as such a supporting role. I'm saying she belongs in the lead. No, I don't think so. In a movie like this, you need an ensemble, and there's plenty of situations. We're kind of past the time of the 80s and 90s where actors are either the lead or the supporting, or, well, I want to be the lead. I don't play supporting. Nowadays, actors just want to be in good movies. That's why you have Margot Robbie being the third lead in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and in every almost everything she does, she's top of the call sheet and uh, name above the title. And, but that's not every movie. If it's a great director, a great project, or a franchise they want to be in, uh, and there, there's many examples I can name where actors, big, big lead actors, will, will play supporting roles. 
All right. Uh, with all consideration put into this one, what I'm looking at is a little bit of recency bias, a little bit of top billing, a little bit of name recognition, visual recognition. Again, we're building a blockbuster, as you guys always do with your infinite budget. It's my favorite part about this segment. Uh, for that reason, I am going to side with Spider-Man and Spider-Man Far From Home actor here. We're going to give this one to Angry Rice. All right. Well, moving forward, that does take the no-hitter off the table for Warren, although he's came out swinging tonight. Damn so, it. Phil, uh, make it, take it rules, gives it back to you. You've got Johnny Lawrence here, and you had better come at it hard. Well, I took a page out of Warren's book for this one. This was a difficult recast. Uh, uh, Zapka, in the original, man, he was, they plucked out an unknown, and man, they they knocked it out of the park. He was perfect. So great. Uh, I went with a Euphoria alum. I uh, went with Lucas okay. Gage, and I think that the most important alumni, he's, he's still making the fucking show. What are you talking I mean, about? He's still, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's been in it. Yeah, I'm going to say he's, yeah, he's in it. But um, a great up-and-coming young actor. But I feel like it's important with Johnny is that, you know, you got to have the look of someone that, and for lack of a better phrase, you look at him and you kind of want to punch him in the face a little bit, you know? Just because whether it be his privileged upbringing, the way he carries himself, just the, kind of that, the, that, the body language without saying anything. And it, it's difficult to pull that off on screen. And I would, and I, I went with Lucas Gage cause he has the look and the talent to do so. All right, Warren, what's your counter? Well, I'm going to got a cast first. got a recast for a counter, right? Yeah. He's got your, your cast counter. You always get honest for countering before we recast. We talk about got him for Johnny Lawrence. Uh, and great, great recasting Phil. I, I went with, uh, <sighs> Getting towards the end of the season. I've already used them once. Want to go ahead and uh, mark them off. Uh, Dakery Montgomery God uh, as oh the villain God. in this ah. role. He's great. Okay, so even in Cobra Kai, LaRusso's wife describes LaRusso as the pretty boy blonde that, be that you beat in the tournament. And I want to go more imposing, more intimidating. And that's maybe why he, he, could, he still plays high school roles, but maybe even casts a little older. So he's even more intimidating, like those um, sure. teenagers that hit puberty at 13 and they got a beer type deal. Uh, you know, where he's, I, I do like that component where he's a, a much more developed than the LaRusso character, which makes it like more like a David versus Goliath situation. Well, he went with Dakery Montgomery. I mean, I concede. I mean, he pulled Stranger Things. And did it. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. Yeah, I, 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 based on how he rolls, I figured Stranger Things I'm halfway there. He used it against me. Um, I do love that. I just, you know, he's too much of a bad boy. I almost can't see him coming from the, um, and again, it, it could be the bias of seeing the character in the background he plays in Stranger Things uh, and just that you know, he's almost the opposite end of the uh, socioeconomic spectrum uh, as Johnny Lawrence. And that I, just it's hard for me to imagine him in the pretty boy from the hills, surfer, privileged lifestyle. What Zachary is uh, really, really, really ridiculously good looking. I don't think he'd have any problem cleaning up. What are you talking about? I love the Dakery Montgomery. I freaking love it. Phil, I'm disappointed in you. I just, this, I, I thought there was going to yeah. be a tie here. I thought this was going to be your casting. I just, I love it. Yeah. I love everything about it. I blew it. it. Um, I blew not it. only was it Stranger Things, which I appreciate, but Warren, well done. Well done. Take a bow, my friend. Take a bow. Oh, yeah. He's a good fit. He's good. Moving on to... Mr. Miyagi. Gentlemen, in the event that we have a tie, this will be our tiebreaker. 
because there are nice. six castings tonight. Fitting tiebreaker. Sure mention it ahead of time. Absolutely. Love Mr. Miyagi. There's certain things about this character and the casting that will be taken into consideration. Warren, who's your Miyagi? For Mr. Miyagi, I went with the legendary Gordon Liu, uh, also known as, and I, I'm probably not saying this right, uh, Chia Huey Liu. He's from, uh, he played Johnny and Kill Bill, and he was the, uh, he trains uh, um, the bride in Kill Bill 2. He's awesome. He's hilarious. <laughs> I would love to see that character get some more screen time. You know what I'm talking about when he's like tapping the stick and hitting Uma Thurman when she messes up. He's so, so funny. Uh, I, I would, uh, this character uh, with Mr. Miyagi, it's a voice and a presence, but more importantly, it's the humor. Uh, keep in mind that uh, uh, Pat, the actor who played Mr. Miyagi, uh, had, he was a stand-up comic. He had the comedic background and the comedic timing. And I think the, the actor that plays this has to have that, uh, that talent to be able to, to time the lines in a way that, that, that maximizes the comedy in the scene. I went with a, a similar route. I mean, I, I wanted to go full comedy because, you know, uh, as we discussed earlier, you talk about uh, Pat Morita's background. Being a stand-up comic, I almost went with like Ken Jong. Ultimately, I did not do that. I went with Donnie Yen, someone who's in the It Man movies. He has a history of kicking ass. Most people most likely know him from uh, Rogue One, the Star Wars movie uh, from 2016, uh, where he played uh, Chirrut Imway. Uh, my my thing with this character is, you know, there there's um, uh, I guess this inner peace, this tranquility, this um, quiet behind Miyagi that you is important that the actor that you pick has got to portray on screen and Donnie Yen can do that. And I'm not quite sure if Gordon Liu can, he's too, his facial expressions are too intense from what I think of from kill bill to portray that in the Miyagi. Way. No, because that's the direction of the tone of the film that he's in. I mean, it's as an actor is malleable, especially, uh, supremely talented ones, uh, uh, as, as the actors were talking about. And Mr. Miyagi is a human Yoda. You gotta have an actor who portrays that all knowing ability where you just believe everything they say to be this like ultimate knowledge. Yeah. I mean, Donnie Yin has literally done that before he the blind guy in rogue one. I mean, he has brought that wisdom and ability to the screen many times. Uh, and I just, again, I just think he's a better fit. Nothing on, nothing against Gordon Liu, who is fantastic. I mean, that, you're talking about two <coughs> legends here. Legendary. Yeah. So that's a tough decision either way. As I read through the, the list prior, I saw David Harbour, and I thought that, uh, Phil, you were actually going to cast David Harbour in this position. God, and I was... Never, I was super never. ready for that. I was no super way. ready I mean, for that. <laughs> well, the, the thing about you have more Miyagi than one drunk there, Miyagi scene. I know that. There, that is so true. Anyway, getting off subject because Mr. Miyagi is like Yoda. I'm gonna lean with Star Wars. Donnie Yen's gonna get this one. Phil, well done. Yes. All right. Thank you. All right. Oh baby, gotta win this one to pull it out. Absolutely, you do. And Daniel Larusso. Again, Mr. Steele, your ex-girlfriend, I am anticipating great things from you both. Phil, what do you got? I went with Stranger Things again. You're such a <laughs> suck up. <laughs> but, Did you bring an apple? I, I uh, but no, it was more about, it was more about, you know, there's a body type for Daniel LaRusso. It's like a thin, lanky kid. Someone who probably will always look five years younger than they really are. 
Um, and I went with Caleb McLaughlin, who played Lucas in Stranger Things. <laughs> but uh, I mean, he just, you know, he has, I feel like he checks all the boxes of it. Not just being Stranger Things, he's a good fit. He has the physique of LaRusso. You know, he, you could see him getting bullied. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's going to turn the corner and he's going to be super charming. He's going to try to steal your girl or steal your ex-girl. Uh, so I feel like he, he he had both sides of that. How delightful. Yeah, I went with the top of the category here uh, in terms of actors that, that play this very thing that is required of Daniel LaRusso. Let's face what this character is. Fish out of water, coming of age, finding his way. And what actor portrays these very things better than Tom fucking Holland, okay? And I, I got to use him before the season's <laughs> up. He's that great, all right? He's too good of an actor not Shut to use up. twice. Um, he's near the top of his category. Now, think about it, and this is backing also what you say, and I agree with you, Johnny's the real hero. So LaRusso does some despicable things in this movie uh, that makes him unlikable, even the way he acts with his mom at the very beginning. How many kids would complain about moving to Los Angeles? Apparently, Don, Dan, Daniel LaRusso. Um, so... You have to be likable despite how he behaves. And Tom Holland is so, so likable. I think he's he's perfect. And again, thinking franchise here, Karate Kid Trilogy. If they did a trilogy in the 80s, we're doing, uh, we're doing like six uh, movies. We're doing two trilogies, kind of like the X-Men Wolverine approach here. Uh, if you got Tom Holland at the lead. You're getting six movies out of this. Yeah, and you're bringing Holland back for the, for the, the TV series too, yeah, to, to be the future Miyagi. Yeah, I mean, it, I can't. It's hard to argue with with Tom Holland. I mean, that's definitely one of those you save to the latter end of the season because they're that good. I mean, he's you know, if you Google any you know best actors under twenty five, he's going to be at the top of the list. So uh, th- there's really no counter to be made to Tom Holland because he 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 ultimately is a, is a great fit. But I'm just thinking more of like. You know, like the body. You think of Tom Holland's a better fit. Now check this out. After Daniel LaRusso gets his ass kicked at the Halloween dance and Mr. Miyagi is treating his wounds, he asks, Where's the guy that helped me? Where where's Spider Man? You? Yeah, it's even got the Spider-Man tie-in. And also think about it with Spider-Man. We went Cobra Kai in the recasting a couple episodes ago of Spider-Man 2. So kind of bring it a full circle. Unbelievable. So I'm super glad to see that you gave that explanation. Because occasionally Warren is known to put a stretch out. And I always love when he stretches for an actor. You didn't stretch on the actor here, Warren, but you sure as hell stretched on the explanation. (laughs) 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 Guess what? Tom Holland. I love it. I love it. I freaking love it. Yeah. Well done. All right. Yes. Wow. Yes, yes. That's a phone in. That's low-hanging fruit right there, man. It doesn't mean it isn't the best one. Started with Marvel, ended with Marvel. Imagine that. You got to think franchise here with Karate Kiss. Gentlemen, recasting court is adjourned. All right, fan theory time. I believe everyone listening to this episode thus far knows where we're going with this one. Biggest fan theory out there. We had to talk about it. We have to address it is the fan theory that was popularized um, somewhat in Cobra Kai from, you know, Johnny Lawrence's perspective, uh, but also from How I Met Your Mother by Barney Stinson. And it's the fan theory that Daniel LaRusso is the true bully and that Johnny Lawrence is the hero of the Karate Kid. He's the real Karate Kid. He is the real Karate Kid, correct. Thoughts, Warren. Uh, I absolutely believe 
this fan theory. I'm 100% on board. Johnny Lawrence is the real Karate Kid. And I didn't believe it until you start watching Cobra Kai. It it maybe aids his case that he's the lead in the pilot, and then you don't get the LaRusso is the lead until the second episode. And then it's kind of a back and forth from there. But you start to look at it from his perspective, and then when you you, you look at the evidence from this film, okay? Uh, Soccer tryouts. The unprovoked attack on Bobby by Daniel. Uh, Daniel's is is a bully there he he kind of takes it overboard right that's the first and that's within the first few minutes in the movie uh daniel sucker punches johnny at the beach party uh sure he, he you know throws the the, the boom box at him but he just straight just decks him out of nowhere and then johnny defends himself and then the most incriminating and indicting action that daniel commits is when he douses johnny with water in the bathroom stall and then he gets jumped. I mean, that ass kicking was coming as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Uh, you know, as much as I want to lean into this fan theory and believe it, I think uh, in Cobra Kai, selective editing of the scenes of how they played out in The Karate Kid and somewhat selective memory, yes, you could make the case for Lawrence being the true Karate Kid. However, he pushed Daniel LaRusso on the beach. LaRusso was trying to stick up for Allie and... Lawrence is who escalated it. LaRusso retaliated and lost. I'm not saying he's perfect. Yes, he is flawed. But the asshole of that moment, when you watch the film, is is Lawrence. He's just upset that Allie broke up with him. But I don't count uh, Daniel hitting on Allie against him wronging Johnny because they were broke up at that point as far as yeah, I'm he concerned. He should have stayed so You out can't count it. that against Daniel, yeah. Yeah, he should have uh, stayed Daniel out. Ha- Daniel exhibits other asshole behavior. I mean, he is bitching about moving to Los Angeles. It's the opening scene with his mom. I don't know how many kids would be complaining about moving from New Jersey to Los Angeles. The kids don't care. They, they're just sad that they're leaving their friends. And obviously he had a tight-knit community when he was saying goodbye to his friends. I was a kid. I would have loved to move to L.A. I mean, I ended up out here anyway, but that would have been awesome. You don't uh, want to move away from but, your friends. Come on. Yeah, but why does Allie even like him? I mean, arguments can be made as to why Allie would even like him in the first place. It doesn't really make sense if you start breaking it down. I mean, it, it, well, it's, it ain't no notebook pairing. Well, uh, Ralph Macchio, I mean, he's a, he's a good-looking guy, and, uh, and he's the new kid. I mean, there is some compelling aspects of it to Allie. So I get that, but going back to, to Johnny Lawrence, I mean, he is by no means perfect. He's by no means the hero in any capacity. I mean, he gangs up and get, gets their motorcycles and runs LaRusso down down the hill on his bike. I mean, he gangs up on him. I mean, you know, he needs his buddies to that do that. That was a retaliation for the Halloween dance, man. But listen, he had left him alone for months at that point. Daniel didn't have to mess with Johnny. At that point, Johnny was leaving him alone. Uh, Daniel initiated all that extra stuff that came after that. He was probably in hiding. He's been he'd been scared. He'd been staying away and t- keeping a low profile, and you know, trying to stay away from Lawrence. That's why nothing had happened. I mean, Lawrence is the bully in this situation. Well, I think uh, you could lean either way, and Cobra Kai certainly does. When you watch the show and the the modern day iteration of these characters, which is a direct sequel to this film and the 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 original Karate Kid movies, uh, it's gray. It's not black and white. They're both uh, in moments. They're both uh, the the hero, and they're they both have moments where they're not. I will say that that what I will give. The credit to Johnny Lawrence is at the end of the film when he takes the trophy 
and shows the great sportsmanships to give it to LaRusso, that does redeem that character. So is to me, is Johnny Lawrence the villain of the film? No, John Kreese is. He is just the student, and he, does, again, redeems himself in some ways. But is he the bully? Absolutely. Well, Kreese is the villain, and the franchise leaned into that with the sequel films uh, and Cobra Kai. I mean, that's why he is one of only three actors to appear in the entire original Karate Kid trilogy, along with Ralph Macchio and, and Pat Morita. And we'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of the Karate Kid. Uh, this was instrumental in popularizing karate in the United States from the 1980s to the present day. Uh, so many kids have taken karate and, and, and learned karate because of this movie. I was one of them that wanted to. We never got to. Uh, no, I did. You did? Damn. Yes. I was, man, what the heck? I think I'm the only kid in our family that didn't get to take martial arts. Damn it. I did. I did martial arts and boxing. I don't have the numbers, but I would say that the percentage of interest or growth in martial arts in America after this film came out is immense in what it did for, for those businesses. One of the reasons why on cable television back in the 80s, it was one of like, what, 25 or 30 movies back then that was on television constantly on yes. the networks. So it had a very high replay value uh, just because of how much it was on television. So many people have seen this movie over and over and over again. And that was not just because it was on VHS, but because it was on TV all the time. And that goes back to it being PG, the family film, family-friendly approach to it, made it very... Um, very palatable to families and one something you could just put on TV and, and watch over and over again. I think the crane kick and the wax on wax off are the most iconic from the film that you see people do yes, uh, the crane sure. kick and you see people say wax on and wax off. But how many times have, have we both done each of those? Uh, it, it's uh, uncountable. Everybody was trying to do the crane kick. I know we've mentioned that before, but it, it's but even if you pose, you do the crane kick pose where you yes. don't even try to do the kick. But if someone like, you know, it was kind of like putting your, it's a different way of putting your dukes up. Well, you felt like it was like the ultimate power move. Like you could win any fight. If you could do the crane kick, it's like you were a badass because you could overcome your opponent with that one move. Could you really? Absolutely not. But it was cool to think that. Another cool move, Sweep the Leg, which uh, was the name of a 2007 music video by No More Kings, which uh, William Zapka directed, and he appeared as Johnny. It was a character of, of the character, nonetheless, but uh, it was still pretty cool to see him uh, throw the uh, the gi back on. Yeah, he, he had gone on record saying that, that was like the first time he felt like he could step back into that role and, and, and own it, in a, in a sense, and, and you know bring that, that character back to life. Uh, I'm glad he did because without him taking that mental step, I don't think you would see, um, you know, the, the Cobra Kai series that we have now. It certainly was an introduction of the fan theory of the first time where people started to look at it from That's the true. Johnny Lawrence perspective, at least publicly. Yeah. I will say, though, that um, when Karate Kid came out, when they were shooting, Zapka was one of the actors that didn't have any background in martial arts. However, afterwards, he did start training. He took it seriously. He wanted to learn. So whenever you see him now um, in, in Cobra Kai, he does actually have a background in martial arts, which is, uh, it's, it's nice to see that not only did he inspire this movie, inspire um, uh, 
pop culture you know, kids to want to take martial arts, it inspired the actors themselves to do so. And little did he know it would pay off when he uh, reprised the character so many years later. Uh, the other infamous reprisal of the characters uh, was How to I Met Your Mother, which you had briefly mentioned earlier, the bro mitzvah episode. Uh, Machio is invited to a birthday party and eventually ridiculed as uh, the you know, the karate kid uh, <laughs> saying that Johnny was the real hero and that he was the, the bully. Uh, and, and, and then at the end of the episode, it's revealed that uh, some mask is taken away and it's actually Johnny Lawrence. And he was at yes. the party the yeah, whole time. I remember that episode. It's, it's classic. So I've Zapka and Machio both came back for that episode. It's great. I love it. Uh, there's also a lot of popular merchandise that was associated with the movie, action figures, headbands, you know, that classic headband, eBay posters. They got the All Valley Tournament poster you can buy amongst uh, a few of the, you know, the, the one sheets and the theatrical posters for the movie. Uh, and then you had the movie novelization of this film, which this was back when they published them a lot. This was kind of the heyday because I remember growing up as a kid, I read a lot of those. Uh, the Batman one from 1989 was very popular. Indiana Jones, I believe, had a really popular one. Or I may be mixing that up with the Indiana Jones Jr. books. I read a lot of those. Anyways, <laughs> a lot of movie novelizations came out. And what I'm really excited about is Quentin Tarantino has the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood movie novelization coming out in 2021. So kind of coming back to pop culture, which I, I don't, again, I don't think they do it anymore. They, I've seen it for some films. I mean, it's not as common. I, I, I do recall like uh, when the prequel trilogy of Star Wars came out, they did it for those. And I was like so excited to read a Phantom Menace. And, uh, and so I think that there are certain times they will do that. I, it's mainly, I think going to be geared around interest. Uh, most likely more popular in the eighties though, than it is today. And just to clarify to people, studios will hire authors to write a novel based on the film. And these will be movies that weren't even based on a book. In some cases, it will just be a novel based on the actual film itself. Correct. Yes. Pop culture connection, 782, uh, it was spoofed in uh, Three Ninjas, one of our childhood favorites, uh, Dogma, American Pie, Dudley Do-Right, Team America, Family Guy, American Dad, SNL, Revenge of the Nerds 2. And then it's referenced in Facts of Life, Growing Pains, Raising Arizona, The Simpsons, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne's World 2, Empire Records, Beavis and Butthead, Fresh Prince, There's Something About Mary, The Matrix, Donnie Darko, Jeez. and Monsters, Inc., just to name a few. Uh, that's more than a few, Warren. Uh, that's a lot. And, and you know, 700 plus references, I mean, that just goes to show the iconic nature Some of those uh, iconic titles that mention this movie i mean that, how much does that say about its uh staying power well it's just the the the, the zeitgeist of karate kid and what how it had permeated uh through society and uh and that is a reference in that, the lexicon yeah yeah the lexicon that's just a reference those references is something everybody can get and understand and it clicks because so many people have connected to this movie in some way this is one movie that has spawned so many films and different projects within the franchise you're kind of surprised when you look at it you knew there was some sequels but three film sequels the karate kid 2 in 86 karate kid 3 in 89 and then the next karate kid with hillary swank in 94 all of which pat morita came back as uh, mr miyagi and then you got the reboot retelling uh remake uh remake. in 2010 yeah and oddly enough i i, I look back at that because it's the one with jackie chan and jaden smith 
And I think back, I was like, man, that movie sucked. But you know what? It was actually received very well. It grossed like 300 plus million dollars overall. Uh, I had, let's say it's got like a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, not great, but you know, decent. I mean, it was, can't it be was worse than Karate well. Kid two or three. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So <laughs> I, I, I may need to go back and, and, and watch that movie again. I, I've never seen the, the remake. Again, my memory, I feel like, oh, it was not that great. It was terrible, potentially because they never did any more of them. But it was actually uh, pretty good, apparently. Yeah, I've only seen the uh, Pat Morita uh, movie universe Karate Kids. So <laughs> right, that would sure. be the the three original Karate Kids, the fourth one with Hillary Swank, and then the Cobra Kai series, which to me, that's canon. And, uh, the Miyagi-verse, yes. Yeah, th- that's the canon Karate Kid universe, the Miyagi-verse. The MCU, the Miyagi Cinematic Universe. Exactly. Right. The people who created Cobra Kai, uh, the sequel uh, TV series to the franchise, has said that the film remake uh, in 2010 is not included uh, in the series. It's just the four Karate Kid films. Uh, there was an animated TV series in 1989 on NBC, The Karate Kid. It aired on Saturday mornings for one season. There was uh, 13 episodes. Uh, and then, as we have mentioned uh, a dozen times, uh, the uh, sequel TV series, Cobra Kai, was launched in 2018, has been very, very successful. Two seasons have aired. Two more seasons are on the way. Uh, what was really cool about season one, though, if you look at the All Valley Tournament flashbacks, they access the Sony Pictures archives and the film reels and were able to find new camera angles for the crane kick, the final moment in the fight oh, that they hadn't used wow. before. So Cobra Kai, the TV show, shows you angles from Karate Kid in those moments you haven't seen before, which re- that's fucking awesome that they're able to do that in the TV show. I can't speak highly enough of that show one of my favorite shows that i've watched recently i just kind of got it got you into turned me it. on to it it's great yeah it, it is especially if you're a fan of karate kid i mean it's just very highly rated it's surprising how good it is i mean it just it doesn't make any sense that the show is as, is as good as it is ralph macchio has said it's a a karate soap opera so hopefully they keep it running like the bold and the beautiful or young and the restless we get like 20 30 seasons of uh of cobra kai <laughs> the, 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 the kind of the crazy thing is you look at macchio he looks great uh he is actually older so now is, they all do yeah he is older now in cobra kai than pat marita was in the original karate kid that's true yeah which is yeah. nuts. There's also a Broadway adaptation on the way, the Karate Kid Broadway musical. It was announced in 2020. Yeah, announced in January 2020. So it's been, you know, it's in the works, but probably put on hold given how the, the year 2020 is gone. Uh, so I uh, hopefully will, well, I guess I should, you know, say that reluctantly that hopefully it makes it to the stage. But and if they can make Beetlejuice the musical work and be great, Maybe Karate Kid they can do too. I think it speaks to the pop culture power of a film. If they are making a Broadway musical like the Mean Girls or the Beetlejuice, like if they got that coming for a movie that says quite a bit. Right, 35 plus years later, that that IP is still churning out interest in the form of a, a very successful television series and a potential Broadway play. Yeah, I'd say you got something special. And I know we're talking about the complete franchise, but the Karate Kid movie is the best of the Karate Kid films. And Cobra Kai is a great TV show and a great way to continue that film. But of all the Karate Kid franchise, the Karate Kid movie is where it all started, and it's the best of the films. And and rightly so, because if it wasn't the best uh, around, (laughs) um, then you wouldn't have seen the success. You wouldn't see it still be popular 
as it is today. And I know I keep shitting on the second and third movie, but as considering how good the first movie is, I was surprised at how bad the second and third one are when I went back and Listen, uh, watched the those. second one is not that bad. The third eh, one is compared shit. Compared to the first one, it's not. Well, but, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, compared not. to the, the first one's like a masterpiece. You got the Dracula from the John Carpenter's Vampires that plays the bad guy in Karate Kid 3. <laughs> no, Karate Kid 3 is, is ass. It's terrible. Yeah. But two is, I'm saying uh, it's not as good as the first one, but it's okay. Okay. It's fine. All right. Okay. Uh, there were two video games, uh, the Karate Kid in 1987 and Cobra Kai in 2020. Well, I did not know about the latter of the two. I'll have to check that out. Uh, themes of the film, the main one being bullying. Uh, that's why it, that's always relevant. Uh, low self-esteem, coming of age, mentor, student, uh, underdog, fish out of water, and hope. Uh, also some powerful life lessons uh, from the film. Uh, learn from adversity. Uh, there are no shortcuts. Uh, learn from good mentors. Commit to what you want and never give up. Yeah, I would say um, you know, learning from good mentors. You know, having a good teacher. The teacher is makes the student. You know, if you've if you're brought up poorly in that sense, you know that can that can influence you a lot, like you see with with Johnny Lawrence. Um, and so Miyagi has a profound influence on Larusso's life because he's not a good kid really when he moves to. Uh, to, to Los Angeles to begin with, and, and he helps to guide him uh, in, in those ways. So that is a big theme, that and sticking up for yourself uh, and, and how you respond to bullying uh, were, the, were the ones that resonated with me the most. And Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times summed it up best when he said, quote, the Karate Kid was one of the nice surprises of 1984, an exciting, sweet-tempered, heartwarming story with one of the most interesting friendships in a long time, unquote. That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you love what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can visit us on our website, replayvaluepod.com, and follow us on Twitter at replayvaluepod. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye! Waldo Pickles Production.